0: thank you well as you uh, find your Bibles there I invite you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning first Corinthians chapter 1 as uh, so we'll be taking a break from our usual study through Mark and our healthy church the next couple weeks to look at the theme of foolish foolish uh, coming out of first Corinthians 1:18 and uh, Judy's on vacation this week down to Arizona so uh, the bulletin is actually a little out of date we're going to be in verse 22. Uh, First Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 22, we'll be starting at verse 18, reading, but we'll be studying 22 to 25. You know, and as you come, I know, you know, someone posted a great quote on Facebook the other day. There is some good that comes from Facebook occasionally, and one of them is that, you know, you don't always remember every sermon that you hear, just like you don't always remember every meal that you eat, but it's all part of your sustenance, all part of your nutrition of being a Christian, isn't it? And that is a great reminder this morning as we'll be looking at a message that, again, is very familiar. If you're a Christian here today, you know this message. But it's times like these that we need to be reminded that these are exactly the days that we need to be reminded that if you're a Christian, you really are a fool. Really? Yes. Why? Because it's a foolish message. How in the world would anyone ever believe that a dead guy came back from the grave? Unless God Himself sent that message. Friends, we are fools for Christ, but that's a good thing. Amen? Some of you are still thinking about that one for a second. It's all right, but it's okay. You are fools for Christ. There, and those might be your famous last words. Well, they might be, but I want to share with you as we get into our sermon some other famous last words that came out in other things because these are very true as we look at this foolish gospel. Someone once said, I wonder where the mother bear is. Those are sure some cute cubs. Another person said, I wonder how electricity goes through these wires. If I just put these two things together, what will happen? Please tell me you have not tried this at home. I wonder whether this rope will really hold my weight. I do weigh more than I did in college. Listen, that train whistle, step on the gas. You can beat it, man. Go for it. Or that firecracker must not it must have gone out. I should light it again and see how that goes for you. Or it's no fun swimming here. I'm going to go beyond the lines over there and see what happens. Or or watch me skate past the danger sign. I bet I can touch it. Uh, I know you've ever had that happen before, have you? Or your most famous one, I once ate at CeCe's Pizza, and I'm not sure I ever survived the experience. There you go. These were all things I came up with. But, you know, these are dying last words of some real people, and friends. The dying last words of our church is when we forget that this message we have is truly foolishness to the culture. The message that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ are for some churches their dying last words because the culture has pushed them out. The 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 the, uh, the areas that they are have said no, we don't want you here. But they have stood their ground even though it sounded completely foolish. Christianity stands or falls on this truth that we are either going to embrace the foolishness of the gospel or we're not. And as a church, the last words worth remembering that we should shock us as a church is either we evangelize or we fossilize. Either we proclaim this message or we don't. Malachi 111 reminds us that from the rising of the sun to its setting, so my name will be great among the nations. Friends, standing at the very center of Christianity are not famous last words of Jesus. It's finished. It it goes on from there. It is his final dying words. They are everything to us, aren't they? Christianity is Christ. Christianity is to believe in Christ, obey Christ, follow Christ, know Christ, worship Christ, and serve him. He is the Alpha, He is the Omega, He is the first, He is the last. He is not just a cause to join or a code to follow. He is a Christ to receive. And those are dying last words you can take to your grave and beyond. Because at the very center of Jesus is what he came to do, and that's die for our sins. And that's why we partake of the Lord's Supper. We'll do that next Sunday. Isn't this kind of cool? It worked out on April Fool's Day to take the Lord's Supper on Easter Sunday. And it was upon that cross that he told us time and again that, that, that this death is not just a one-time thing. It doesn't just stop here. These aren't just last words. These are words that will go forth forever and ever and ever and ever. But to the world, this message that we hold is utter, absolute foolishness. It's uncouth. It's unrefined. It's unsophisticated. It's even barbaric. I mean, you don't see people walking around with electric uh, 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 chairs on their uh, their necks, do you? You don't see people walking around with gas chambers around their necks. That's a little weird. But yet, here we are wearing crosses all the time when it was one of the most barbaric practices. Why? Because it is where God met us at our greatest need, the need of salvation. And so much could be written about this church at Corinth we're going to be looking at. But the church at Corinth had a problem. They took this foolish message of the cross and they tried to sprinkle a little bit of other things in there. And it never worked out. And so what we are going to look at today is that there are so many, so many things, friends. This time of year, there are churches that will drop iPads from helicopters, truly. There are churches that will throw out all sorts of things. But in the midst of all that, the foolish message looks even more foolish in a worldly way. Because we've taken away the sting of the cross. What is sad today is there are many feel-good churches wanting to be popular, wanting to build their numbers, and wanting to grow, and they take the cross out of their ministry and they substitute it with a candy-coated message to the point where you cannot even tell whether it's Dr. Phil or it's Jesus Christ. And I pray that God will blow a trumpet in every ear this morning to the fact that we are to be rallied around this truth, know this truth, and live this truth out. Do we really believe this? Do we really want to be fools for Jesus Christ? Because this message isn't popular. It's not something that you hang your life on unless you really believe it. Is this foolish message what we are here to proclaim? It is. But do we really desire it? Because, friends, the big idea today is if, if the gospel we share isn't foolish to the world, then it isn't the gospel. Did you catch that? If the gospel we share is not foolishness to the world, then it isn't the gospel It's not foolish to stake your life on the comfort and call the gospel. It's incredibly foolish to reject the gospel anytime, anywhere. The gospel did not originate in the halls of academia or the philosophy, but it came down to us as God himself in Jesus Christ. And the gospel crushes every foolish attempt I try to do to make myself or someone else my savior. There's only one Savior, of course, Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, that may strike you as foolish. How would you believe in this itinerant guy walking around for 33 years, 2,000 years ago? Do you really believe? Yes, we do. And I pray your mind is awakened to that truth this morning. Four results of this foolish gospel from 1 Corinthians. We're going to see the clamoring of the world. We're going to see what the world says about this message. Secondly, we're going to see the centrality of the cross and how it conflicts with the church. But finally, we're going to look at, and I think this is so important, the calling of the Spirit. How in this foolish message, God brings about the calling of people to be saved. And I'm keenly aware today that there are many needs in this congregation. Some of you, it's busyness. Some of you, it's, it's trying to figure out what's, what's going to come next. But I want to submit to you today that the greatest need you have, your only hope for whatever you're facing, is a reminder about what Jesus did for us. And as you look at that, your only hope for peace and strength and comfort is going to come from that. Paul is talking to a group of Christians who had got the message, embraced the message, but then said, we're not sure we really want this message. And today, you may be there today. You may say, Darren, another Easter is rolling around. I'm not really sure I believe in this stuff. Is this really true? And Paul is going to say, yes, it is true. Yes, you can stake your life on it. Yes, it's worth whatever stigmas may come your way, because at the cross, it is everything or it is nothing. With that in mind, will you join us in standing, if you're able, this morning in honor of God's word as we read. uh, We'll start in verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1.18, about this foolish message that is the cross. Hear God's word this morning uh, from the ESV. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. For where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the sage? And has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21 For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Gentiles seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called the Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And we'll stop in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Friends, we are here to embrace a message that has separated families, that has separated cultures, that has separated countries, that has separated people for all eternity. From the world's eye, it is is foolish, but if you're a Christian, you know it is the greatest truth you ever have. Let's pray this morning as we look at it. Fathers, we come before you on a cold, windy, kind of just gray day here in Missouri, Father, on Palm Sunday. We are reminded, Lord, that we don't control the weather. We can't control people's reactions, but we can control this one thing, that we seek you or we don't seek you. We follow you or we don't follow you. We walk with you on the narrow road or we take the broad path. But, Father, whichever direction we take, we pray that it is following you, Father. We pray that whether you send us here or send us there, that it is you we go with. It is you that we are walking towards. It's you that we are going long after. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for this day. We pray our church always embraces this message. Stir within us uh, a desire to see friends come to Christ, family, co-workers, neighbors, this neighborhood with this foolish message that is the cross. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I invite your attention to verse 22. And I, uh, I apologize. I caught a cold, I think, yesterday walking out in the rain. Lots of fun, so pardon my scratchy voice. And I realize I, I put on brown shoes with a black pant set up, so it's just been one of those days. So uh, praise God that even when we don't get things right in the, the first sense that God can use us in the other. I want you to see in verse 22, first of all, the clamoring of the world, the clamoring of the world. And, and this is very striking because, guys, this is exactly where our culture is. Paul is writing to a group of people who are divided about what the gospel is. Because the culture of this time in verse 22 is a craving a certain kind of message. The Jews, they want religion. They want religion, 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 religion. But the Greeks, they just want to be thinking about things. They want philosophy. They want the deep ideas. And that's why Paul says there in verse 22, he says, For indeed, the Jews demand signs. Indeed, the Jews are religious. They are the most religious people of the day, but they're lost as ever. They're born of the tribe of Israel, but they have no saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're blinded by their religious traditions and bound by their false religion. And you notice it says they demand signs. What is this? They want someone to come along and do the big things that they've always dreamed of to make things happen that will make them most important. You know, churches do this all the time. If we just get the right pastor, if we just get the right system, if we just get the right thing and people see our church, then they'll come to Jesus. Oh, wow. That's scary. Cuz guess what? The church is full of S I N N E R S all the time. And guess what? If they are get, if you, what you win them to is what you keep them to, friends. They pursued these signs and when they asked for signs, they wanted a Messiah who would work miracles. Oh, they loved those miracles. And it was prophesied that the Messiah would come in great power. He'd come with great uh, a rush of miracle workingness. But they wanted to break away from political oppression. They didn't care about the Messiah so long as they were not under Rome's steel hand. And it's all about improving their daily life and going back to their former days as a nation. You know, we do that today. If we could just, you know, some of us say, if we could just go back... Uh, you know, X amount of years to when America was like this or like this or like this or like this, then life would be good. Friends, we're no different than the Jews if that's what we believe because they wanted someone who could come and clean house, but they had no desire for a Savior. They had no desire to make Him Lord over their lives. They wanted a political leader. Well, this next election cycle, the midterm elections, if we can just get the right people in the right office at the right time, then America will be golden again. Friends, America will never be golden again until we seek after this Christ who's risen from the dead. But they had the Greeks as well. The Greeks searched for wisdom. You see these Greek people, you know, don't you love those things? You, you know, They're the kind of one of those. You do this husbands to your wives all the time. You adore them and, you know, you kind of put your head down like this and act like you're thinking. You're really just flexing your biceps. That's what you think of, don't you, with the Greeks? And that's exactly what they were. They were seeking after wisdom. They were well-learned. They were well-cultured. They were well-educated. They were always looking for the newest thing, the newest trend, the newest ideas. And they, they, they thought that at this point that if they could do this, they would be okay. But they had no desire for God's wisdom and his eternal perspective. It's the clamoring of the word. Friends, as this comes to us as a church, we are still here today. Nothing has changed. There are people who are religious who say, if we could just get the right Christian in the office, the right person in here, the right person in there, then we'll have it set. And there are other people who say, you know, if we just put this strategy here and this strategy there and do this and do that, then we got the world for Jesus. But lost in translation is the foolish message of the cross. Because the religious scene today wants us to do certain things and the thinking of the day wants us to do certain things and really at our flesh if we're honest we just want a man-centered message we just want a message that is self-help that feels good that makes us kind of jive inside we want a success-oriented message and that's why so many churches have adopted a message that is nothing short of dr phil light that's the third time i mentioned him that's scary Friends, we reach the world, and we, we think we adopt the world's thinking, we adopt the world's vocab, we adopt the world's rhetoric to draw them in, and there are no such shortages of churches that are have a bankrupt philosophy that we must be like the world to reach the world. It could be nothing further from the truth. Our power is in our unique message, as you'll see on the screen. It's not in our innovations. Friends, there's some pretty cool stuff. We're, de- we're redesigning our website right now to make it more visitor-friendly. It's a lot of information right now. That's great. But our power is not in TowerViewKC.com. Our power is not on Sunday night when you get to see Nelson answer Bible questions with me or whoever else may be on That's not our power. Our power is not even knocking on doors. Our power is in a gospel that is about a risen Savior who died, he literally was buried, and he literally came back from the grave. That is the power. And friends, churches have lost this. Churches have lost this for the sake of whatever will draw people in. And that is playing right to the culture. Did Jesus ever play to the culture? No, he played to his, sa- his heavenly father, first to please him and then what it is. So what does this mean for us? It means that the resurrection was not a message brought out of the closet once a year at Easter. We have gotten ten flyers at our, our house this year from well-intended people. You know, come have hope, come have this. We counted them up. I think we had the name of Jesus mentioned less than two times on those flyers. Friends, it is an unrelenting victory that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. If our Easter is not about Jesus, then we have nothing about Jesus in our church. How would Paul respond then to the craving of this church? Did he give them what they wanted? I mean, he's the apostle. He can give them signs. He can give them wisdom. So what did Paul do with this? And that's why I want to go to verse 23. Notice the foolishness of this message not only makes the world want certain things, but Paul goes straight to the heart of the issue. Look at verse 23. Secondly, the centrality of the cross. It says that, uh, Paul writes to them, he says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but, when there's a, a, a but in the Bible, it's usually a good thing, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. We preach Christ crucified. Paul would not give in to the Jews who wanted a religion, and a, a Messiah who would just do whatever they wanted, a genie in the bottle, and he wouldn't give in to the church at Corinth who wanted the latest, greatest thing. He preached Christ crucified. We preach Christ. He didn't perform signs. He didn't pontificate human wisdom. He wasn't an echo chamber for Fox News, CNN, or whatever the latest thing is out there. He preached Christ crucified. The most shameful death on earth, probably known to man. Horrible. Brought stigma to the person. No Roman could ever be crucified on a cross. Only the worst criminals could be crucified. The terrorists, the the rebel rousers. Jesus probably died on the cross that was prepared for Barabbas. And Paul says the world wants this, but we preach this. Friends, Christ crucified is the only message of Christianity. It should be the only message for our church. Now, someone would say, well, did Paul ever talk about anything else? I mean, is he he's just like that annoying guy that talks about Jesus all the time? I mean, did he go around and say, repent and believe for the kingdom of God's at hand at the water cooler on Monday morning or at the shop on the afternoon? Did he say, repent for the kingdom of God is coming? He might have done that. But according to Acts 20, Paul also ca- taught the full counsel of God's will. We know that he shared the full counsel of God's will and from bibliology to eschatology and everything in between he taught. He preached the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But this is what Paul would say. No matter if he taught on whether you should have tattoos, drink beer or go with girls that do, he taught this one thing. It is all about Jesus Christ died, buried and rose again and that was preached both to believers and unbelievers. So what did he teach about the cross? He taught, first off, this is not on the screen, but he taught, first off, that it, 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 the eternality of the cross, that the cross is the plan of God before all time. He taught that the, that the cross was not just a forethought about Jesus coming, that it was foreknown that this would be true. And in the second point, the, the Christ crucified, he not only taught about its eternality, he taught about its severity, that at the cross, Paul said God's judgment fell on his son, and he bore our sins by suffering on the tree. Paul also taught the sufficiency of the cross, that where, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Don't you love that? On your days when you think you can never get out of your sin, that God has provided everything you need. He taught the finality of the cross, that by one sacrifice, this is why we believe that when we take the Lord's Supper, it is not the actual body and blood of Christ. We don't need to re-crucify Christ. He said it is finished, it is done, and that is enough. He proves the exclusivity of the cross, that there's only one way of salvation, one mediator between God and man, and that is the only name under heaven by which we are saved. That is the name Jesus Christ. Not one drop of saving grace outside the death of Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That is what Paul taught. And you notice that the greatest display of God's wisdom, according to verse 30, if you just go down a little bit further, where it says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. For the Greeks, Paul says, Corinth, look, the greatest display of God's wisdom was that he saved your soul. I don't care what these new people teach you. This is it. This is what it is. And guys, if we're honest, if we had 100 million years to think of a way to save ourselves, we'd never come up with the cross. We tried, didn't we? We tried pretty well. Well, if I'm just good enough, I try hard enough, I sacrifice enough animals, if I walk enough old ladies across the street, then maybe God will love me. I'm grateful today that God loves me no more or no less based on my performance. It's all based upon the performance of one, that is Jesus Christ. But that's a foolish message. Paul would not have been moved or swayed to what the Jews or Greeks wanted. And this is why, and I'm going to mention this for two weeks in a row, we don't go door to door to say, hey, what would you like in a church? You'd like a swimming pool? Awesome. We'll get that built tomorrow. Don, we got to do that. Great. You want a basketball court in your church? Then we'll put that up. If you just come to church, we'll make you a basketball court. Friends, we do not play to the whims of people. It doesn't mean we don't meet people's needs or try to serve as we should. But the church, the gospel, the foolish message is not based upon going and giving lost people what they want. We go and give lost people the very thing they don't want. The foolishness of the cross. Because the carnal mind does not want the cross. It's, it's, we are in that stage where our kids just hate vegetables. We're getting there, you know. Give me pasta. Give me pizza. Give me fiber bars, ironically enough. But don't give me carrots. Don't give me, well, I don't know if this counts, pickles, okay. We eat pickles on the side. You know, Don't give me that stuff. But you you got to do it. You almost want to open up their jaws and go, ah, oh, you don't know, get down in there. That's what you feel like doing. It's frustrating. You've been through this. We're just going through this. But friends, I can tell you now that as Amy will put this up under number two, the offering of a better life now or eternal bliss later will draw even the most carnal people of the church, but we must preach Christ crucified. Friends, that is our message. It's foolish. It's foolishness. It makes us look silly. It makes us look kind of weird. You are here to worship a dead guy that rose again. Yes, we are. I posted this on Facebook the other day, but Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you're looking for some old-time sermons by Dr. Jones, uh, uh, he taught in England post-World War II up into the 80s. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a doctor, a physician. He was actually the royal doctor for the, the royal family during World War II. But before going to be a pastor, he was a great doctor, by the way. So good, he got to be the chief guy of the whole country. But he said, I never, Dr. Jones said, I never, quote, let the patient write the prescription, end quote. And he went on to say, neither must the church allow the world to chart our course or craft our message. Can you imagine if we had doctors today that gave you whatever you wanted when you went to the doctor as far as prescription goes? I don't even know. Friends, in our church must stand against that as well. You and your family must stand against that as well. You and your, your 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 walk with Christ must stand against that. That nothing gets in the way of this foolish message that God loved you so much that he had to die on the most cruel, inhumane way on the cross. Paul is dogmatic. One of my favorite phrases, he is bull dogmatic about this. He's Rottweiler about this. He is going to say, look. The Jews want signs. Greeks want wisdom. But guess what, guys? I'm not giving you what you want. Here's Christ crucified. It'd be so easy to water down the gospel to say, you know, just come to Jesus. He'll take care of all your joys, all your fears, everything in between. And does he do that? Praise God. Yes, he does. But when someone comes to Jesus, they come not because of what gifts he offers, but because of the greatest sacrifice, the greatest gift of all, himself. Look, if you're here today or you know someone who they say, you know, I'd I, I'd go to heaven, but but I don't want Jesus to be there, then they don't have the God of the Bible. If you don't want to worship the Jesus of the Bible in heaven, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible here. That is the the God honest truth. So you see this foolish message. It clamors with the world. They want certain things. Paul goes back and says, look, you're going to get the centrality of the cross. But number three, it's going to go back. It goes back and forth. It's going to conflict with the world. Notice verse 23 here as it reads with your Bible open. It says, but we preach Christ crucified. I want to focus on this last phrase here, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. Jews, a stumbling block and the Greeks foolishness. Look, if Paul's goal was to pack the church, he would have given in to them a long time ago. Does this mean churches that are packed are not Christ-centered? That's not what I'm saying. But Paul's goal is to give them what they don't want. His goal wasn't to fill every seat. His goal was to fill the pulpit. Does that make sense? His goal was that he would be uh, the messenger for the stumbling block, and this stumbling block literally means scandal. We think of scandal today as uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a church, a guy steals money, or that, that you know, uh, a, a politician, where where someone uh, he says one thing and it comes out another thing, or. Uh, a sports guy gets on those PEDs where he gets to become a super athlete and he gets to win the gold. They take it away from him. That's what we think of scandal. But what this means is is basically uh, when one, you trip and you go head first. I did that on Friday morning, by the way. Uh, I got the hands to prove it. I was running along and I, I tripped somewhere in Liberty and I, was, I got up and, man, those legs hurt. It hurt. But one thing I know is that that stumbling block was not really meant to be a stumbling block. It was a sidewalk, by the way. You just kind of trip over your own feet sometimes. But this stumbling block that God had was intended to be a stumbling block. Jesus came, didn't he say, not to bring a sword, but he came to separate mother from daughter, son from father. Why? Because his message is foolish. And if you follow it, there's going to be differences in your life. When you follow this message, it's going to radically change how you view the world, how you view people, and how they view you. It's going to conflict with your worldview. It's going to conflict about how many friends you are able to keep on Facebook. Because you post, please do not post these on your Facebook. Repost this five times. If you love Jesus, you'll put this on your Facebook. Well, I don't have to put something on my Facebook to prove I love Jesus. Thank you very much. Please don't post those things. But it will change how people view you. Hey, what'd you do yesterday? I went to church. You went where? To church? You really believe this stuff? Yeah, I do. Friends, it's going to separate you. Many of you live this life. Many of you know people who know people who have been separated from their families because they've stood by this message. But Paul reminds them that this is something that's going to completely change everything they do. And when Paul preached, it would be hard for them to swallow because can you imagine this? Jesus wasn't anything significant. If you had a picture of Jesus, you probably wouldn't be able to recognize him. We heard that from Nelson as he read the scripture from Isaiah 53. Three tiny years of ministry, he died the most shameful death, and you're telling me, Paul, that my eternal destiny rests on this roaming, itinerant Jewish guy who walked in the desert and and did things? And Paul would say, without any hesitation, yes, I am. It's foolishness. The Greeks wanted something deep. Who am I? What's my life? What is death? What is happiness? What are all these things? And they would say, you're telling me the answers to all this is to believe in the gospel message of some dead Jewish guy? It's foolish. Foolish literally means, and you may learn something today, fool literally means moron in English. I don't use that lightly. I understand that can be taken in the wrong context. But it literally means you're insane. If you believe this message, you are literally called in the Greek an insane person. So congratulations. We're all in the asylum together, guys. That's how it goes. But friend, as you witness to others, I want you to remember this, that no missionary strategy Or marketing scheme could ever advance this foolish, offensive, stumbling block called the gospel. But praise God, there's two words, but God. I love online marketing. By golly, I love social media. We were having that discussion in class, John, weren't we, about social media and the the woes and the goods of it. I love that stuff. I did it professionally before I came. If I could take a church and show them how to use social media to get the gospel out, I'd love to do that more and more. I'm not an expert, a lot of self-taught But we've seen results. But look, you can take every marketing strategy we have for this church and throw it out. You can take every missionary, uh, you know, plan here and plan there and throw it out. If your message is not centrally located on the gospel, then you have no power behind your message. But Darren, if we just sign up for this conference for $899 and send three people and get the latest and greatest things this big church is doing here and plan it over here, then maybe we'll be successful in our neighborhood. You know, the only way to be successful in a neighborhood is to faithfully follow God and live out the gospel before you, to share it, to live it, to love it. I'm not against strategy. We had a strategy yesterday. We walked on different sides of the street. It was kind of on the fly. We went up the road. We knocked on doors, and that's fine. But the message was central. It's about Christ. Friends, I pray that's true in your family as well. That you don't say, you know, if we just send our kids to this school or, or, you know, if we get over here, we move here, if I get this opportunity here, that it is as simple in our families as this. I would rather have families in this church who uh, there's nothing great about you except that you believe that Jesus Christ is enough to maintain every part of your family life. Are we against psychologists? No. Are we against things? No. But friend, really, that's what it's all about. It's about Christ. May we never forget that. As you witness to others and extend that grace, we should mean have people say it's maddening that you would even believe that message. But isn't it a great message, guys? God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whosoever believes in Him, what an awesome message we have. I I will I will tell you this full disclosure here. I I, I don't follow many people on Twitter, but I, I followed our president on Twitter. Good, bad, ugly. You take that for what it is. Every tweet our president sent out, I got. Three in the morning, five in the morning, ten in the morning, eleven o'clock at night. I don't know how in the world that guy ever sleeps. He's on his phone all the time, or his staff is. My heart rate went up more in the last month watching those tweets than anything else. When I took off those tweets, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Turn down your political commentaries, turn down your social media. Turn down whatever it is that is keeping you away from seeing Christ as he ought to be seen. The greatest message in your life, the most foolish thing in your life, yes, but the most glorious thing because he gave us all. Now, is I saying bad about our president? No, please don't take that. But friends, the things of this world can really clamor you up very quickly. I became a political pundit quicker than I became a Christ follower in the last month. And trust me, my phone's a lot more silent. And I get a lot more sleep these days, amen? God is good. Friends, is Christ crucified conflicting with your world? It should, because he wants it to be all of your world. Finally, we'll close with this, the calling of the Spirit. Notice verse 24. So there's a clamoring of the world, do this, do that. Paul says, no, go back to the cross. And then they say, well, that's going to conflict with everything. So what's Paul tell them to do? Notice verse 24 here, this foolish message. He tells them that but, there's that but again, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. What is he saying? I mean, Paul, how will anyone believe if this stumbling block's here? I mean, how does anyone believe, Paul? How can anyone get this foolish message? It's crazy. Go over to chapter 2, verse 14, if you got your Bible open. And I want you to, very familiar scripture for most of you, but underline this, highlight this, star it, whatever you do. Notice chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Let us remind ourselves, Tower View, this morning, that every unconverted, unsaved person is spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. They cannot understand the gospel. It's like trying to tell, it's like trying to play a symphony to someone who can't hear, or describing a sunset to someone who's blind. You can get to a point. But after that point, unless it's seen or heard, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So Paul tells them here, to those who are called. Paul, how will this foolish message, I mean, if it's not about marketing, Paul, it's not about wisdom, if it's not about miracles, how do we take this foolish message and get it to the people? He tells you there in verse 24, he says, but to those who are called. There's two types of calls in the Bible. And, and There's a general call. This goes out to everybody. This is any time that you share the gospel, any time that someone looks at nature and says, hey, uh, I noticed that, that that tree's there. That's pretty amazing. How'd that tree get there? You know, when people start thinking beyond themselves and, and, and someone gives them a call to commit their life to Christ specifically, we can only bring the message to the ear but no further. We give the general call. Come to Jesus. Come now. But there is also what Paul says here, a special call. It's always effective. It's never ineffective. It always results for that which it is meant to result in. And we might call this the irresistible call. This is where God from eternity past chose those who would be saved, given to the Son to die for for the Spirit to call them out. Our Baptist Faith and Message 2000 affirms this. Those are the leftovers of the world are the ones God has called and chosen for himself. Some who are mighty and wise but not many. What we know, if you go to verse 27, just go down a couple of verses, it tells us, Paul goes through this list, he says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He says, God chose what is weak to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing that is. So that no human being might boast in the presence of our God. Friends, the call of God, and Amy will put this up, the call of God doesn't come to the qualified. It comes to Because he has qualified you because he has qualified you. You say, what? He has qualified you if he's qualified you. How do you know if you're a Christian? You know you're a Christian because God has called you. Because as we have said so often from this pulpit, if you could earn your salvation, if you could earn your way to heaven, then you could lose your way to heaven. Do you understand that? That song that we sang in Christ Alone where it says, no man can snatch him out of my hand. Most Christian denominations cannot say that. They cannot sing that. That's offensive to them. Because I decide my own destiny, and I decide when I want to walk away from Jesus. Well, friend, if you can walk away from Jesus never to return, you never knew Jesus in the first place. Because if you can walk away from your salvation, you had no salvation to begin with. This is what exactly the calling of the Spirit. How do you know you're a Christian? Paul will tell you in Romans 8 that we know we are a Christian because the Spirit of God witnesses to our spirit that we are children of God. Now that sounds really like mystical, esoteric, kind of just nebulous, use all those weird words, but you know you're a Christian because when you see this foolish message, you say, Yes, that's what I want. Yes, give me that Jesus. Yes, give me that crucified Savior, risen, buried Three days later, coming again, that's what I want. It's the person who says, Yeah, yeah, I get you, Jesus, but really, I don't really, I'm not even sure you had to do that for me. Or, Jesus, did you really, really, that's just not cool today. Go put some clothes on, Jesus. Get off the cross. You know, go, go, go away. It gets silly. We are to proclaim the death of Christ as far and as wide as we can, but know there's going to be folly, know there's going to be foolishness, know there's going to be rejected, but in the midst of all of that, Paul tells us here this foolish message, God will summon and subpoena those who are chosen and bring them and draw them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our great evangelist hope. We don't need to diminish or compromise or adapt the foolishness of the world's message to the church or vice versa. Our job is to shout that he died for sinners and that his sin-bearing death is perfect for all who come to him. As we issue the general call, God, the Holy Spirit, works in partnership with us to issue the spiritual call. What a great thing that is told you before I was in sales before I, man, sales drives me nuts. Aaron, Aaron, my friend Aaron, who's in the back and I have talked about this enough. S- if you're in sales, God bless you. That's all I can say. I, I it drove me nuts. Am I going to have a paycheck or am I not? Well, that depends on how well you do, Darren. Oh. Uh, the anxiety starts going up in the type A mind. That's just how it is. But isn't it great to know that as we faithfully share, that God will do everything 100%, exactly pulling all the people he has called out to know his name. Parents, this is your great fallback when your kids are like, Bible, get out of here, Bible. Are you faithfully sharing the gospel? Then trust them to God. I'm not saying they're going to be saved. I don't know. But God will work out his sovereign purpose in their life. This is the folly of every time. And guys, think about this. I'm up here for 40 or 45 minutes every day. Spitting from the pulpit, pounding the pulpit, yelling at you. You're you're giving me feedback. That's just weird. Do you believe that? It's foolishness. But through the foolishness of preaching, God saves people. That's craziness. Christ is the power of God. Did you notice that in the next thing? He says to those who are called, verse 24, but he goes on to say as he looks, both Jews and Greeks, not just the Jews, not just Greeks, everyone, the message is for everyone. Why? Because Christ the power of God. Christ, the power to break the the power of sin, the penalty of death, the pollution of sin, the, 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 the triumph in every person's life who believes. It is the wisdom of God. It's folly to the world, but because of Christ it makes sense. Do we compromise, change, or, or prop up the world's message to Jesus? No. we cloak in other ways to make it attractive? No. Do we use new ways sometimes to reach people? Sure. But does the message change? Absolutely not. This must be our very priority as we close that those who bear witness that 2,000 years ago, the second person of the Godhead entered in of the womb of a virgin, That he became just like us, yet was without sin. That because he was born without a sin nature, he was born of a virgin, that we can trust in him. He lived for over 30 years in perfect obedience to the will of God. He never sinned. He was the sinless, holy one of God who went to the cross. And there he laid up upon the ground. He drove the nails into his hands, and they hoisted him up. He was separated from heaven and earth, kind of suspended between both as the God-man. He was cursed under the law, a crown of thorns put around his head. He was jeered, he was taunted, he was mocked, and at high noon, at the time of his death, the sun darkened and became pitch black. And all the sins of all the people who ever walked the earth or would walk the earth fell upon him him who knew no sin was made sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God. And on the last 3 hours he died in our place, became our scapegoat, became the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, and at 3 in the afternoon he 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 mentioned those three famous words, it is finished. Not I am finished, but it is finished. Not I'm done, but it is done. The price has been paid, and he said, Father, in your hands I commit my my spirit, and they took him down. They buried him, stinky, nasty, all grubbed up as he was, and they buried him, but three days later, praise God, he didn't just raise in our hearts symbolically to make us feel good about ourselves. He busted down that door. He rolled away the stone. He walked out of there, and he's sitting at the right hand of God praying for you and me right. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what a foolish message it is. Really, what a foolish message it is. You'd be better off going to someone and say, you know, I saw a UFO last night. It landed in my backyard. And I talked to some green little men with little antennas that did this. And the world will look at you and say, yes, I believe in that. It's called Encounters of the First God, Steven Spielberg, 1980. But if you share this gospel with them, they're going to look at you and say, are you really from a foreign planet? Maybe. But I know this truth is not of this world. It's the only truth. It's the only way. It's the only life. Friends, if you embrace that foolish message, as our culture in America starts to circle around less and less morality, if we even ever had morality in this nation, you're going to start to see more and more of the calling out of those who are chosen. And friends, let me tell you, it's foolish. It is foolish. But praise God, praise God that we have a Savior who said, it may be foolish to the world, but to me, it's the power of God. Let's pray today. Father. As we come before you. We know this message all too well, most of us in this room. We know this message because you have chosen us, not by any pretty Uh, contest or any beauty contest or strength of feet or wisdom or or grades or whatever we can bring to the table father you chose us not because we were lovely father in fact that we are so sinful that your son had to die but you chose us out of love father we don't know who out there may be on that list As, as spurgeon said that we wish everyone had an e on their head so we could know who's elect but lord until such a time may our church embrace this foolish message May our families embrace this foolish message. May our individuals in this church embrace the foolish message of the cross. Foolish to the world, but to us who are being saved, the power of God. Father, we don't want to try and be some antediluvian historical church that never changes, and we don't try and meet the needs of our church, but I pray one thing never changes. As we look at ways to reach people, Father, would you also not allow us in any way, shape, or form to back down from this foolish message? Father, I pray for sister churches who are, try, who are teetering on that in leadership behind the scenes. Do we just give them what they want, miracles or wisdom? Father, let it be Christ crucified, loving, humble, selfless, bold, all those things. But let it be Christ crucified this Easter. Father, I pray for everyone who may hear this later on. I, I just pray that, Lord, you open hearts as only you can. Father, thank you that you died for us, not because we were good or lovely, but because your son was the perfect sacrifice you would only accept. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for Jesus, in his name, amen.